1 John 5, verse 13. The Bible reads, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 2, verses 9 through 10. Or I believe it's actually verses 9 through 11. It says, The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you bring all these notes back to my memory. Father Yahweh, I pray that this message would go forth and it would be to your glory, Father, to your praise, none, none for myself, for any human being, Father. We just want to glorify you today and lift you up in all that you do for us. Father, may we be assured of our salvation, Father, if we are saved, and may we be pricked by the Holy Spirit if we are not. We glorify you and we thank you. In Yeshua, your Son, we pray. Amen. By way of review, let me point out to those who have heard or for those who might be hearing me for the first time that the reason that John wrote this particular epistle was so that we might have the assurance of salvation. There's a doctrine of salvation or a doctrine of Scripture called assurance. And we need to have assurance. It needs to be something that's real in our life. And so I ask you today, are you sure that you have salvation? Just because a person says that they do doesn't mean that they really do. It doesn't mean that at all. There is a way to know. And according to 1 John 5 verse 13, we can read this particular epistle and know that we have eternal life. He said, I've written these things to you so that, or in order that, you might know that you have eternal life. It's a wonderful thing, really. It can be a, a very damning thing, but it can be a wonderful thing. It can be great. We read the epistle, we, we, we see the tests, we follow through with the, the epistle, and we say, yeah, we passed that test, we passed that test, yeah, we passed that. Man, I'm, 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 I have assurance. I have salvation. I've been born from above. I've been born anew. Now, how is this? Well, as we've been noticing, John, in some manner, he presents in his epistle a series of tests that we can use on ourselves and in observation of others and see whether or not we are truly born again, born anew, or as some prefer, born from above. The evidences that we see for the person who is born again are effects of being born again. I've tried to make this as clear as possible. They are effects flowing out of the born again experience. They are not the cause of our salvation. The fruits that we bear flow from our salvation. They don't cause our salvation. Our salvation comes first, Fruit then is born by that born-again person. Just like fruit comes off of a tree, right? The fruit doesn't come first and then the tree. The tree comes first, right? Then the fruit grows off of the tree. The fruit is the effect. The tree is the cause. You know, brothers and sisters, this is very simple, but it's profound. You know that a particular tree is an apple tree by looking at the apples that it bears. I was teaching my children in family worship one morning and I said to all of them, how do we know how that the trees out by the driveway are pear trees? And I can't remember which one looked at me, but one of them looked at me and said, like they were saying, 
well, duh, Daddy. You know, they didn't say that. But they were like, well, because they got pears growing on them. I said, that's exactly right. That's how you know that they're really a pear tree. Because they've got pears growing on them. Now, if I took them out there and tried my best to convince them that an oak tree was a pear tree, and they never saw any pears growing off that oak tree, then they would think, well, something's wrong with Dad. Daddy's not smart, or maybe somebody hadn't taught him the right way or the right manner. But we know that a pear tree is such because it has pears, likewise with an apple tree. However, listen to this, it's very technical, but it's true. An apple tree is <clears throat> excuse me, is not an apple tree because it has apples on it. That's not why it's an apple tree. Rather, it has apples on it because it is an apple tree. Do you understand that? The apples come second, not first. Being born again comes first. That's the work of Yahweh. That's the work of the Creator. That's not the work of us. Just like we talked about the physical birth, none of my children upped and decided, hey, I want to be born. And they talked to me and their mother out, you know, and said, hey, we want to be born. Could, could, could you let us be born? That didn't work that way. No, we decided, we made the decision for my, my children to be born. Right? Obviously, Yahweh is sovereign over everything. But we were the vehicles that made that decision. Likewise, we don't cause our spiritual birth. Yahweh causes that spiritual birth from us. It's solely by Him, solely by His grace. And so the born again comes first. That's the work of Yahweh. And the fruit of the experience comes next. That's the work of man. And we've seen in these tests that all of the tests have to do with something that we do. Not something that we say. We can say something but practice something entirely different. Amen? I've seen many people speak certain things, but do something entirely different. We don't want to be caught up in that rut right there. It's okay to speak the things, but we want to back those speeches up with actions, back those speeches up with fruit. And so far we've covered three tests that Brother John gives us, whereby we can know if we have truly been born again. Test number one was the true believer will walk in the light. They will live a lifestyle of righteousness versus a lifestyle of unrighteousness. They will have a fervent desire for the things of Yahweh. That's test number one. The Bible says if we say we have fellowship with Him, but we walk in darkness, we live a lifestyle that's contrary to Yahweh who is light, then we lie and we do not the truth. That means we're really not saved. If you're here today and you don't desire the things of Yahweh, and you don't, your lifestyle doesn't exemplify Yahweh who is light, the odds are you've not been born again. You've not been saved. Test number two, the true believer will be sensitive to sin. While the genuinely saved person does not practice sin, they are still sensitive to, sensitive to the fact that they walk in this current flesh. They continually, to the day of death, are repenting, confessing and striving for further degrees of sanctification. It doesn't matter how small something may seem. The born-again person is bothered by the smallest sin in their life. The person that has not been born again, sin doesn't bother them. It doesn't bother them. They may say a coarse word to somebody and it never affects them. They never feel like they have to repent. But the born-again person may say just the smallest word to somebody out of place and it bothers them until they finally repent of that wickedness and confess. Say, Yahweh, please forgive me. My brother or my sister, please forgive me. 
That's test number two. And then we covered last week test number three, and that is that the true believer keeps the commandments. They look at the life of Yeshua the Messiah, and they walk as He walked. 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6. The one that says that he knows Him, knows the Messiah, but doesn't keep His commandments, the Bible says that person is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I know that it's not politically correct to call people a liar today. You know, and it seems like the only people that can be politically incorrect are Bible believers. Everybody else can say anything they want to about a Christian, but a Christian can't say anything about a homosexual, you know, or about, you know, whatever. I know, so I know it's not politically correct for a, a messianic person to call somebody a liar, but that's what the Bible says, isn't it? It says if we say this, but we don't do this, we're a liar. If we say we abide in, in the Christ, and we don't walk like He walked, we don't live like He lived, we are a liar. The truth is not in us. We're not saved. We're not saved. And so now today we want to come to the fourth test that John gives us. And that test is, in 1 John 2, 9, the test and the question, do you love the brethren? A truly born-again person will have a love for the spiritual brothers and sisters of Yahweh. 1 John 2 verse 9 says, The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in darkness until now. Notice that, the one who speaks, the one who says. I'm in the light, but he hates his brother. He's in darkness. He's really not in light. He's not saved. What is practiced is a hatred for someone else that professes to be in the faith. I want you to remember this. John is writing to professing Christians. He tells them, if you say that you have been born from above, yet you hate your brethren, you then have actually not been born from above. Verse 10 goes on to say, the one who loves his brother remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. The one who loves. This is action. We know from Scripture that love is something that is active. The best one-word definition that I have come up with for love is service. Whether it's talking about love for, for my brother, like Brother Dan, or love for my, for my wife, or love for my children, or love to Yahweh, it can be summed up in service. How do I serve my wife? How do I serve my children? How do I serve my friend, my brother, like Brother Dan, Brother Jerry? How do I serve? That's what love is. So the one who loves his brother, the Bible said he remains in the light. Look at 1 John 3, verses 16 through 18. The Bible says, This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but shuts off his compassion from him, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love in word or in speech, but in deed and in truth. What this is saying, if you're a brother, you have the world's goods, you have the ability to help out another genuine brother in the faith, and you shut off your compassion towards that brother and you don't, you don't help him, how can the love of Yahweh dwell in you? You know, I've seen people, though, that profess to be brothers, but even the smallest thing they're not willing to do They'll speak a lot, but they won't do a lot. The true brothers, you know what I found? I found that the true brothers don't speak much. They just do much. <laughs> they do a lot. 
They don't have to talk a lot because it's not all a show. It's not a put on. They genuinely love you. They genuinely love the brethren. Notice that it is your brother that you love here. It is your brother that you must not love in word or in speech, but in deed and in truth. Now, that doesn't mean I can't tell my brother that I, that I love him. You know, if Brother Andy comes to me and, and he says, Brother Matthew, I love you. I don't quote him First John three eighteen. It says, don't love me in word or in speech. No, you're not allowed to do that. That's not what that verse is saying. This is one of the not-but constructions in the Bible. What it's saying is, you don't need to merely or only love in word or in speech. Don't let that be where it stops. But also in, in deed, that's action, and in truth. Let it be truth. You understand that? So it's okay to, to say that you love your brother. That's, that's fine. But don't let that be where it stops. Don't let the speech be the only thing that comes from you. Because if that's all that comes from you, there's no genuine love. Don't tell me that you love me and then treat me like dirt. That proves that you don't love me. Likewise, I can't tell you that I love you and then treat you like dirt. That proves that I don't love you. That's what that proves. Do you know that the term brother is a family term? That it's used of relatives? If Yahweh has birthed you and me, then I am your brother, and you are my brother, or you are my sister. We are family. True family. Do you know that? Just like my children, their relatives, because they're birthed by the same parents, if Yahweh's birthed me and he's birthed Brother Dan, we are kin. We're kinfolk, as we say in Georgia, right? We're kin. Look at this in 1 Timothy 5, verse 1. It says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a what? Father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. And with all propriety, the younger women as sisters. We often call one another brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Do you know what that means? What you're doing is you're telling that person, when you say Brother Dan or Brother Jerry or Sister Denise or Sister Rhonda, you're acknowledging you're part of the family of Yahweh. You're my sister, younger woman. You're my mother, older woman. You're my father, older man. Or my brother, younger man. That's what we're saying when we do that. We call each other brother and sister. Let's realize the weight of those words. Let's realize that Yahweh is our Father. We're His children. We're family. Look at this in Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 33. The Bible says, Then His mother and His brothers came, and standing outside they sent word to Him and called Him. A crowd was sitting around Him and told Him, and the Him here is the Messiah, says, Look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters... He replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who were sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. They show him, they said, Look, here's your family. He said, Who really is my family? The ones that do the will of Yahweh. That's my mother. That's my brother, and that's my sister. The old saying goes like this, blood is thicker than water. And you know that may be true, but according to Scripture, covenant is thicker than blood. Covenant is thicker than blood. Sometimes when you follow Yahweh, you may not be able to hang around your family. That comes across very difficult, doesn't it? It does for me too. 
But that's what the Scriptures teach. Sometimes you might not be able to hang around your blood relatives when you follow Yahweh. Why? Because they don't do the will of the Father. And the Bible teaches that we're not supposed to keep company with corrupt people. Bad company corrupts good manners. Does it not? That's why as, as children get older and they begin to look for prospective spouses, they don't, they're not supposed to do what's called missionary dating. Well, they say, well, I, I can win her over. Don't worry. I know she's out in the world. I know she's you know, out doing all this kind of stuff and I can win her. No, no, no. You don't go after that. What fellowship hath light with darkness? You find somebody that loves Yahweh, that serves the Father, that believes the doctrines of Scripture. You do. Do you know why Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15? Bad company corrupts good manners. He was talking about people that didn't believe in the resurrection. That's what he was referring to and he was telling the Corinthians, don't associate with these people. Or you might quit believing in the resurrection. They might rub off on you. I've seen it so many times. I've seen people that are pretty good people, pretty good guy, pretty good gal, and they start to hang around with the wrong crowd, and the wrong crowd always rubs off on that good guy or that good gal. Very, very rarely the other way around. It takes a very strong spiritual person to rub the other way. Usually the wrong will rub off on the right. The unclean will make that clean thing unclean. That's usually how it will happen. That's why Yahweh warns us of that. He says, don't fellowship with, with those people. You understand this? It happens. It happens, brothers and sisters. Covenant is thicker than blood. Your true family, according to Scripture, are those who do the will of Yahweh. And this may or may not be your blood family. Those that do the will of Yahweh, Yeshua said, that's my family. They do the will of my Father. I'm my Father's child. They're my Father's children. We're brothers. That's my mother. That's my sister. That's my family. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 6 through 8. It says, If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son or daughter, or the wife you embrace, or your closest friend secretly entices you, saying, Let us go and worship other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known. Any of the gods of the peoples around you, near you, or far from you, from one end of the earth to the other. You must not yield to him or listen to him. Show him no pity and do not spare him or shield him. Verses 9 through 10. Instead, you must kill him. Your hand is to be the first against him to put him to death. And then the hands of all the people. Stone him to death for trying to turn you away from Yahweh your God. Your, your, your intimate friend your brother, your sister, your close relative whom you love that's dear to your heart comes to you and says, listen, let's transgress the law of Yahweh. Let's don't do what Yahweh says. Let's go after other gods. He says, don't show them any pity. Moses said, kill them. Kill them. Now, I'm not advocating that you go out with a twenty-two rifle and start open fire. This verse has to be taken in context. In, in the parameter of the kingdom lifestyle. But a way that we can obey this verse is this. If somebody, I don't care how close they are to you, if somebody tries to entice you to go against the laws of Yahweh, it doesn't matter if they're your closest blood relative. Don't pity them. Don't do it. You're asking for trouble, brothers and sisters. 
you're asking for trouble. Don't pity them. Don't fellowship with them. Tell them, no, I don't do that. I don't go that way. I don't hang out there. I don't do those things. And I'm not embarrassed to say it. I don't run with that crowd. Right? Are we examples? Are we righteous examples or are we not? Are we written epistles or are we not? How can we be a light to the world when we do everything that the world does? How can we be salt to the earth when we act exactly like the earth? How can we? How can I teach my children to grow up and live a righteous life if they're looking at their daddy and their daddy's out transgressing the law and I'm telling them, listen, you don't do this and they're thinking, well, man, what in the world does dad do this? Dad does the exact thing he told me not to do. Does it make sense to a child? And it shouldn't make sense to a child. They're to look at their father and their mother as examples. Don't pity them, the text of Scripture says. Moses said, you're the first one to throw the stone. Kill them. You say, Brother Matthew, what about the commandments that says, thou shalt not kill? That's on Yahweh's terms. You can't kill when Yahweh says you cannot kill. But when He says you can, you can. That's, that's how you understand that commandment. Okay? Now, I want you to look at an example of this in Exodus chapter 32, verses 26 through 27, and then we'll continue to read. Hallelujah. How many love the Scriptures? Exodus 32, verse 26. And Moses stood at the camp's entrance and said, Whoever is for Yahweh, come to me. And all the Levites gathered around him. He told them, This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Every man fasten his sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from entrance to entrance, and each of you kill his brother, his friend, and his neighbor. Now, if you're familiar with the text of Scripture, what happens here is... Moses has been up on the mountain. He's been fasting. He hasn't eaten and he hasn't drunk. And he comes down from the mountain with the tablets made of stone. Yahweh wrote them with his finger. I mean, can you imagine the experience this guy went through? Oh, awesome, awesome brother in Yahweh Moses was. He comes down and he sees that the people had corrupted themselves. He sees dancing and frolicking and all this kind of stuff, lasciviousness going on. And then he sees this calf. Yahweh says, they've made, a, they've made a calf. And Moses gets down there and he says, what in the world happened? And Aaron, I've always th- thought it was kind of crazy what Aaron says. He says, well, they gave me their gold. I threw it in the fire and this calf come out. <laughs> you know, that's humorous to me. This calf came out. And I picture Moses looking at him and saying, who do you think you're talking to? You threw the gold in the fire and the calf just come out? Why'd you let these people entice you into making this calf? I just got through... Right after I gave the Ten Commandments, I just told you, don't make gods of silver and gods of gold. There had to be more than just throwing something into the fire. This thing had to be molten. And so Moses, he's very angry. That's when he gives this instruction. He says, grab your sword. You go through the camp and you kill your neighbor, your brother, and your relative. Think about that. Imagine being given that commandment. What did they do? Look at Exodus 32, verses 28 through 29. Exodus 32, verse 28. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and about 3,000 men fell dead that day among the people. Afterwards, Moses said, Today you have been dedicated to Yahweh, since each man went against his son and his brother. Therefore, you have brought a blessing on yourselves today. Moses tells these Levites, You brought a blessing on yourself because you killed your son. You killed your brother. That's powerful, isn't it? I read that right now and it doesn't sit well with me. But what had happened was covenant was thicker than blood. Who is your true family? 
those that do the will of Yahweh. That's your true family. That's your true family. Our true family is not determined biologically in the physical world, not according to Scripture. Our true family is determined biologically in the spiritual world. When Yahweh births me and you, we're family. You are my kin, and we should love one another. And if you're saved, you're going to realize what I'm about to say. If you're not, you probably won't. Have you ever encountered a pure stranger, yet upon conversation you suddenly come to the knowledge that they are a follower of Yahweh's will? It's an immediate kindred feeling. I don't care if, you're, if you sit down on an, on an airplane or a bus or if you're in the grocery store and you get talking to somebody and they may be a complete stranger, but you talk with them and you begin to see this, this person is a follower of Yahweh. Hey, this guy, he, he loves Yahweh. This guy believes in the Son of Yahweh. This guy keeps the, keeps the Torah. And all of a sudden you feel like he's your kin, like he's your brother. You know why you feel that way? Because he is. He's your blood brother. He's bought with the same precious blood of the Lamb of Yahweh as you are. And you're kin to Him. That's why you feel that way. That's the spiritual bond of the family of Yahweh. The Scripture says that you remain in the light when you love the brethren. There's no stumbling in you. You're not stumbling and you are not causing your brother to stumble. You are constantly in love with the brethren. Brothers and sisters, I know people right now that every time I talk to them, I feel a special bond. And it makes me cry sometimes. I feel the bond and the love of the brotherhood. I love the brother. I say this without boasting. But when I examine this in my life, the one who says he loves his brother, but yet he he goes around and he does hatred things towards his brother, the love of Yahweh is not. And when I examine this, I find true love that I have for my brothers. I love my brothers. I love them. I love it when they call me. I love to talk to them. I love to fellowship with them. I love to revelate with them. I get excited when I see their name pull up on the cell phone. Right? I get excited because they're my buddy. They're my brother or they're my sister. And I love them with the love of Yahweh. Brother, I love you today. I don't just speak that and throw it. Don't don't let it go into the air and not meditate on it. I love you if you're a saved child of Yahweh today. I love you. I love you, brothers and sisters. I love you. And I'll go so far to say this, and Scripture teaches this, and I've taught on it before. I love my enemies. If you only love those that love you, you know, the publicans do the same thing. The Pharisees do that. Oh, we have to pray to love our enemies, brothers and sisters. It's hard. That's a difficult one. But we've got to love our enemies as well. You mean we need to do good to somebody that despitefully uses us, Brother Matthew? Absolutely. He says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him water. That's what Solomon said in Proverbs. Love the brethren, love your enemies. Threw that in there for nothing here. 1 John 2, verse 11. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You ever thought about that? Somebody's eyes being blinded spiritually? We don't think about it as potent as we do in the natural. We meet a blind person. I did a job for a woman who was blind the other day. We meet a blind person physically, and it's really real to us. Because they're asking us, okay, explain that to me, or can you help me, can you grab my hand here, or else they've got a stick and their eyes are just going in one direction and they're trying to find their way, and it's real to us. But there's spiritual blindness as well. 
there is spiritual blindness. And it's just as bad. It's just as bad. That's why, as I, me and some of, the, some of the brothers have talked about, that's why sometimes we try to explain things to people and they don't get them because the scales have not fallen from their eyes. They don't have spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to hear. That doesn't mean we don't need to keep planting and keep watering and pray that Yahweh will open those eyes, right? We need to pray that. But don't get so upset because they don't have the, they don't have the eyes that you've got. Keep praying for them. Fast for them. Seek Yahweh for their, on their behalf. But this is why Yeshua says in Matthew 15, He told, speaking about the Pharisees, He said, Leave them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. And then He goes on to say, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be plucked up. So any plant that looks like it's planted, if Yahweh didn't plant it, it's going to eventually be plucked up. But if Yahweh planted it, you can't pluck it up. Romans 8 says, Nothing shall separate you from the love of Yahweh if you truly have an experience of regeneration in your life. Talking about a true experience. True experience. So, they be blind leaders of the blind. The blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Have you ever thought about, imagine getting on a tour bus. Let's say you go somewhere that you really enjoy for your vacation. You get on the tour bus and you've got a blind bus driver. And he says, okay, we're about to approach such and such. And over here on the left, I don't have a clue what's over on the left. But, you know, and then over here on the right... I don't know what's going on, but hey, check it out. <laughs> Think about that. That's what Yeshua's saying. And eventually you start swerving and you realize, man, this guy must be blind. And he's blind. That's what he's trying to get across to us. If a blind person leads another blind person, they both fall into the ditch. And that ditch doesn't lead to the kingdom. It leads to, to destruction. It leads to the lake of fire. So if the person that says he loves his brother but hates his brother, if he does those evil actions towards his brother, the darkness has blinded his eyes. He don't even he doesn't even know it. He doesn't even know it. Oh, how I wished I could get this across to you. People that are lost don't know that they're lost. They don't know that they're lost. If they thought they were lost, they would seek to be found. You understand this? If you're out in the woods in a place where you have no clue where you're at. I was hunting my dogs not too long ago, and my dogs were lost. Now I got out to the woods, and I kept my cell phone on me, and Tisha called me. She said, what's going on? I said, well, the dogs were lost, but now your husband's lost. <laughs> I have no clue where I'm at. I'm just going to keep walking until I hit a street. When you know that you're lost, you want to be found, right? A spiritually lost, a spiritually lost person doesn't know that they're lost. That's why I witness to people sometimes on the job. And they just, it's like water off a duck's back to them. They don't realize that they're lost. They don't realize that they need the love of Yahweh. They don't realize how wonderful it is to serve Yahweh. They don't realize how much strength and joy you feel each morning when you wake up. They don't realize how great a relationship with your wife you can have and with your children you can have and with your brethren that you can have in Yahweh. They don't know it. They're blind to it. The darkness has blinded their eyes. They don't even realize it. They might think that they really love people, but they don't. And you can't convince them otherwise because they've got scales on their eyes. They've got scales there. Oh, I see it so clearly. I hope I, I, hope I can get it across to you. Brothers and sisters, I hope that I can. 
Oh, hallelujah. Only Yahweh can open a person's eyes to the light. And oh, how I pray that He would do so, so you would see the depth of your sinful heart today. I pray if you're lost, that Yahweh would open your eyes. And you could see the glorious light of the Gospel. The good news about the kingdom. The good news about Yeshua's life. Perfect life. Sacrificial death. Victorious resurrection. Oh, if you're lost today, I hope that you can see. I hope Yahweh opens your eyes. So you can see. You say, Brother Matthew, what do I need to do? Repent. Repent from your wickedness. And believe and trust in the Son of Yahweh. That's what you need to do. A few other texts as we close. 1 John 3, 14-15 We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. If you've got hatred in your heart towards your brother today, you are a murderer. You are. You might think, well, no, there's no way that can be actual. There's no way that I can be a murderer. It's not the same thing. It's not It's not like me actually murdering somebody. Yes, it is. The Bible says that it is. That hatred needs to be destroyed. You shouldn't have it there. You should have a heart of love, a heart of compassion, a heart of kindness. Because you do not have eternal life as long as that hatred is there. 1 John 4, 20-21 If anyone says, I love God, notice what they say. I love God. Just about everybody says that nowadays, you know. Large portion of, of the society. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. He's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love Yahweh whom he has not seen. And we have this command from Him. The one who loves Yahweh must also love his brother. If you say you love Yahweh whom you've not seen, whom no man has seen or can see, the Scripture says, who is invisible, you profess that you love Yahweh but you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. This is the fourth test that John gives us, brothers and sisters. This is how we can know that we have eternal life if you've experienced this love. And if you have, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. So I ask you as we close, do you love the brethren? Do you love the family of Yahweh? We sing an old song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of Yahweh. I sang it as a little child and I had no clue what it meant, but I sang it loud because mom and daddy taught me to sing it. And I'm glad that they did because now I know what it means. And I am glad to be part of His family today. And I'm going to live with my family in the kingdom of heaven forever. Time out of mind. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Oh, Father Yahweh, you're so good. Please, Father, forgive us for our faults. Father, reveal to us our hidden sins. 
so that we can run the way of Your commandments. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of Yahweh. Oh, Father Yahweh. I pray, Father, that You would create within us a yearning and a churning, Father, of love for our brothers and sisters. Father, I pray right now as I speak in my life, oh, Father, let it be true. I don't want to speak one thing, Father, and not have a love for the brethren, a service towards them, compassion towards them. Father Yahweh, help us in our weak times and let us rejoice in our strong times. Father, thank You for the weak times, though, because it's at those times that we get closest to You. It's at those times that our faith increases and we get built up in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. So thank You. Father, we glorify You today. And Father, Yahweh, we rejoice in You. Pray that You bring us back together, Father, for the new moon here. We'll give You the glory and the praise. It's in Your Son we pray. Amen.